Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hello again. I'm so glad to be with you, and thank you for tuning in. I am just really thrilled to have on the show today a colleague that I've admired for many, many years. She is in the executive coaching and leadership training industry, as I am. Sarah Smith was an executive at IBM. She's now an MCC coach, which she'll talk about. She's author of a book called Coach to Coach, which you'll hear about. She has worked with college athlete coaches, which you'll know about. <laughs> and if that isn't enough to whet your appetite, Sarah has yet another talent. Let's hear about this. And literally, in just a minute, you are going to hear about this. I just welcome you, Sarah. How Thanks. are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Valerie. It's so oh, I see this. Yes. I ask you to bring this right. because I thought, oh my gosh, there are so many things that you do. This is crazy. So what is it? And, and tell us. This is a Native American flute. Uh, my husband and I picked them up uh, for the first time about five years ago. Uh -huh. It is uh, traditional to the Northwest Indians, mm -hmm. and I like it because it's there's no written music, and in their tradition, every time you play the flute, it's a prayer, oh. and and so I find it to be. So uh, could you please just lift it a little bit higher? I so sure audience can. Can see it. Perfect. Thank you very much. Isn't that and you play this as well as percussion instruments in the Fort Worth City, City band. band. Okay, <laughs> I do. All right, tell I us do. more. Um, that. I like the Native American flute for a couple of reasons. It's very, very easy. And so I've introduced it to, uh, to colleagues and to children as a way to, to separate yourself from, from the stress of life a bit. Hmm. Because it's a no-fail kind of instrument. Just to play it and that relieves stress. Just to play it. I'm going to go get one. That's <laughs> There, there are, um, boy, you can go on YouTube and learn how to play one. Uh, this one I dearly love because it is a piece of art as well as a musical instrument. Oh, let's hear you. Let's hear you. <laughs> mm. Beautiful. And hold the holder up because you oh. also <laughs> made that. 
That's yeah. beautiful. Sarah, I you learned a little bit about leatherworking. <laughs> really enjoy that because there aren't patterns. You just make stuff. You, you are just a make stuff kind of woman. <laughs> and did I mention that you have two degrees in theater? In theater. <laughs> in theater. You know, it strikes me with uh, playing this, playing in the band, I know you love to get in the RV with your husband and travel all over the country. How do those things fall into place with your real work in terms yeah. of your coaching? Is there a spillover in some Absolutely. way? Absolutely. In fact, um, I used to do it just because it felt good. Mm-hmm. And and what I part of my specialty that I bring to executive coaching is a background in the neuroscience of the human condition and behavioral science and emotional intelligence. EI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that we've learned is that you know we have a logical part of our brain and we have a creative part of our brain. And we can help integrate those the more we use things like creative creative things keep that part of the brain exercised and active. Hmm. And so didn't know it years ago, but now know that uh, when we use the both the creative, by the way, the creative side of the brain has no language. Oh, it's visionary. It it has no spatial boundaries. Mm-hmm. All of that happens in in the left side of the brain. Language, spreadsheets, boundaries, you know, lists. Your IBM stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twenty nine years and, and still there. And, and the thing that I learned and the way it, it ties to coaching is that when we as coaches help clients vision mm-hmm. and then articulate it, what we've done is invite the creative side of their brain and then they hand it off to the analytical side of their brain. Yes. An integrated brain is more profoundly effective than one that's primarily analytical. That's such a differentiator. You know, uh, Sarah, speaking of, of the coaching that you're doing, we'll get to your personal, I mean, <laughs> your background in a moment too, but uh, you are currently the vice chair of the International Coach Federation, which is the largest global certification for us coaches. Right. And I'd, I'd like for you to talk about what coaching is and what it isn't oh nice um it's a great question because a lot of people call themselves coaches yes and and um when we talk about coaching Mm -hmm. what we're talking is about is partnering with a client to move into the future lots of coaches in lots of areas go in and are problem solvers Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we talked about the creative side of the brain and, and integration. Problem solving lives in the analytical part of the brain. Visioning the future lives in the creative side of the brain. Mm-hmm. So as we credential coaches, we teach them how and we creden- credential them in being in that visioning future creating. Yes. That's the value of a coach. And to help clients really know themselves, mm-hmm. get out of their heads, into their hearts. Yes. Which is not what certainly Western culture invites us to do. And, and the credentials. You mentioned that mm-hmm. because 
I'll speak for myself. You are the master coach. You have the <laughs> MCC title. I'm almost there. I'm the PCC title. Right. What difference does it make to Great. people? Yeah, a, a PCC coach, a professional certified coach, is one that has reached a high level of proficiency. Thank and, you. And we, yeah, and not everybody's there. And, and so before I forget, here's the thing. If you don't hire, if you hire a coach at all, mm-hmm. hire an ICF credentialed coach. Because if you do, you get someone who has been tested on the meaning of coaching, Yes. On ethics, and they've been given a, an exam, a, a performance exam, to say, yes, they have the proficiency to be a professional coach. It is a bar of excellence yes. that, that we've set, and, and it takes work to get there. It is not easy. I had been coaching for years before yeah. there was an industry. And as you know, I yeah. got interested in joining the or the local chapter, and what the hey, I'll go ahead and get my certification. And yes, absolutely everything you said is right on. It is it is not easy. And you know, uh, since Sarah, you've interviewed a lot of people in your IBM and business days, if you were uh, looking to hire a coach, what would you tell people to look for? knowing that other than a credential what else yeah i'd ask them to talk to them Mm -hmm. and ask them ask the coach what gift they bring to coaching what an interesting question i hope you heard that yeah because when i i ask that question of Mm -hmm. myself when when i'm interviewing with clients because the whole idea is the clients got to figure out if there's chemistry if it feels like the the coach will will work well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, a coach should challenge as well. You don't hire a coach for, for them to be your best friend. You want them to champion you. Mm-hmm. But you also want them to challenge you. To uh, The way we used to say it is speak truth to power. Speak truth to power. Yeah, the thing that I hear what you're saying mm-hmm. is that the same problem keeps coming up. What's up with that? What's up with that? Yeah. And the approach that we take that uh, you share all the time is assume that the client is those three things. Yeah. Creative, resourceful, and whole. Now, what does that really mean when a coach, someone that is being coached, how do you know that your coach is doing those things? If they're not trying to fix you. There you go. Because if I'm whole, I don't need fixing. But they want to be fixed sometimes, Sarah. And, and as a coach, we talk about that too. Yes. That the journey to correcting or shifting or changing is the client's journey. The coach is there to, to compliment, to champion, to challenge. Mm-hmm. But the real change, the real work is on the part of the client. You know, I think that's such a uh, an important distinction that um, is not easy to do when you're coaching. I'll speak for myself <laughs> to win. <laughs> you know, to remember that the client has the answers. Our job is to help them. Not that, and I will say this: 
Not that we only ask open-ended questions. I no. had I had a client in one of the big four say, are you going to be one of those coaches that just asks me questions all the time? No, you're not going to be no. just doing that. But really, from a coach's perspective, I, what I think you're saying, no, you're saying, is we have to let go and really know how, and there's the mm-hmm. skill yeah. and the gifts, how to allow the client to open up their awareness with the tools and the skills that that we've learned yeah and and one thing you're speaking to is the evolution of coaching yes you know we've we have watched it evolve and from the international coach federation we've worked to direct the evolution so that it's not i'm here to fix your problem Mm -hmm. but rather i'm here to partner with you notice the distinction there A lot of helping professions are there to help a client or a patient fix something. Mm -hmm. A a coach is there to partner, to be with them where they are right now Mm -hmm. and and to help them move to the future they want to create. So what's the trends now in coaching? Yes, it is a burgeoning industry. We know that. Are there any trends that oh, you know from the inside? I do. <laughs> tell us. Uh, the trends are that companies more and more, it, it was the you know Fortune 100, and it's moving through industries, through organizations. Mm-hmm. It's becoming known that uh, coaching and coach-like cultures create higher levels of productivity. And do you know how many, what percentage now of, let's say, I don't know, the Fortune 500 companies or 100 companies. Do you know what percentage of organizations are you know, moving it's, that? Uh, based on the research that we've done, mm-hmm. those percentages are 18% at the high end mm-hmm. and, and less. And what we're seeing with the, the research that we do is that there is a compelling reason uh, to use coaching. What we're struggling with, what we, the world, are struggling with is that thing that we struggle with as coaches, that difference between helping and, and allowing someone to grow. Yes. You know, the, the, certainly the Western culture says that managers tell people what to do. <laughs> what if they don't? Mm. What, if it's, what if it is more collegial, more, what if we work to help people grow into positions? When we do that, the effectiveness of the person when they own the task yes. rather than being told the task. Think right brain, left brain. If you tell me something, I'm going to go to that analytical part of me. There'll be no creativity involved. Sarah, would you like to comment mm-hmm. on um, the people that um, tend to... Um, there's a lot of new companies now that suggest to the employees there's no titles for you. You go and work with uh, what do you think is right, and you establish the priorities for the company. Would you like to comment on that? Well, it, when that's done, that's one of the strengths of millennial cultural comp- companies mm-hmm. that they <laughs> they watched us too much. They decided they're not going to create hierarchies. What's what's interesting as they begin to grow past an entrepreneurial state. They've got to shift into some levels of control and governance. How do you do that without falling off the other edge? So to to answer that question, that's why entrepreneurial startups, uh, millennial startups, have been so you know successful, uh, successful. right? Because uh, people are allowed to be creative, 
to integrate the analytical part of their brain and the creative part of their brain. Well, you get the whole employee that way. Well, isn't that nice? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's harder for the Fortune 500s. It's harder for the IBMs and the Raytheons and, and those people to back away from, from a very staid culture yes. that's integrated over generations. So it's just, it's a wonderful evolving industry. And uh, in the coaching work that you are doing and have for some time now, Sarah, how long? How long have you been coaching? I've been coaching for uh, 18 years. Okay. So in those 18 years, do you find that there are maybe consistent issues that people are coming to you that um, oh, need absolutely. to help? be coached on you know what's interesting is that we have problems of schedule and market and and just this you know list of things that are the presenting problems very often I would say 90% it's a people issue it's how people get along how people uh, communicate how organizations work together so it's often the behavioral and social aspect of it that it's very rarely that the science isn't working. You know what's so fascinating and good from my standpoint in knowing that, Sarah, is that all these years, I've said this on the air before, all these years I have said from the beginning, my tagline is we focus on people skills. Mm -hmm. And today there's actually research just like you say, Absolutely. that leaders have to learn the soft skills. I've always hated that word, the soft skills, because they bring the hard dollars, I like to say. You've got to be relational. You have to handle Absolutely. 90. So I love that statistic. I'm going to quote that. I'm going to send you a link to a study that the uh, ICF, International Coach Federation, partnered with HCI. Human Capital Institute, yes, and the the study was released last September, and it gives the numbers, great, and the behavioral differences, Love and it. it's very clear that relationships make more effective business. And when you send that link, mm -hmm. I will send it to any listener yeah. who uh, reminds me to do so. You can just go to Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. That's my email. I will forward the same one. So thank you for that. I've been that teaching would be interesting. that information to coaches trying. I'll, I'll be in Canada next week, mm. teaching coaches what that report is and how to present it to clients. Excellent. Research is always good. Absolutely. Always good. All right. So let's go back to <laughs> Sarah. When Sarah was 20 years old, did oh, Sarah? Smoke. what was Sarah saying that <laughs> to herself that she was going to do and what happened oh i was going to set the theater world on fire two degrees how I, did the okay how did this happen well i i love theater i i was introduced to it in in high school and and i was on stage some in fact i was in a movie you were oh yeah do the, we know it the legend of boggy creek Okay, is it out there? Can we go it find is, you? It, it, it is. Um, I won't comment on the quality of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it is searchable. Okay. Uh, and it was uh, filmed in East Texas, and I was in college, and I was one of the screamers. Oh, fun. Yes, I just found it. I'm going to put it in the comment section. <laughs> oh, and I, good. 
release date 1972? It lives. Oh, yes. Anna, you're great. Look at her. Yeah. She's great, my producer. It, it lives. In fact, it. you remember the, the show that was on late night years ago, uh, Science Pop-Up? No, I was too young. Sarah. Someone did that. <laughs> <laughs> the Legend of Bygate Creek. I had an employee who sent me a note in the middle of the night going, guess what I just saw? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you liked theater? I liked theater, and I actually enjoyed being behind the scenes more. Okay. Um, my my uh, master's thesis was in directing. I put myself through school being a theater tech. I'd, I was um, I did lighting and sound and sets. And ran That's hard. Yeah, and ran shows from behind, uh, and so I'm. You know, we were laughing earlier about the the illusion of reality. Yes. I'm all about two dimensional, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I came out of my my master's work doing uh, running a theatrical production company and realized <laughs> there was no money in it. Oh. And my mother, who taught typing at a high school said the guys who fix my typewriters have better jobs than you do oh ouch and she was right <laughs> so i went and interviewed at ibm and got on the wrong floor on the wrong floor yeah it's you know the the list was in alphabetical order oh uh data processing came before office products I and see. i went to the fifth floor instead of the whatever the you other floor supposed was to and and applied i mean i was a theater major who knew there was five divisions in IBM. So I got on the wrong floor. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They were hiring uh, people with not just fine arts, but visual arts and that sort of thing, because they IBM believed that uh, pattern recognition and the ability to think outside the lines was, was an important skill for people in data processing back in the day when we called it data processing. That was 1977. How fascinating you were on that floor, right place yeah. at the right time. Yeah. And they, they said, do you want to take an aptitude test? And having then realized I was on the wrong floor, I said, well, sure. <laughs> no pressure. Why not? And you were at <laughs> IBM for how long? Nearly just uh, two months shy of 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. What are you most proud of? Uh, the work that I did... Uh, after the turn of the millennium, by the way, I was in the year 2000 practice. I, I was one who helped the world not fall apart. Isn't well, I, I remember that. And, I'm and, so glad it didn't. And a lot of people say, oh, that was much ado about nothing. No, that was actually a lot of, lot of ado, again, behind this curtain mm -hmm. that kept nothing from happening. From happening. Interesting. Yeah. There oh. were a couple of somethings that happened, but uh, we were able to recover because there were only a couple. Oh, you have to come back and tell us about that. Well, I have been sworn to silence. Swore I have to kill you. Okay, <laughs> all right. All but right. but the, you asked what I was proud of. Yes. Uh, after that part of the IBM journey in sales, I was able to move into the part of the company that was um, given the charter to radically change that company from a hardware and software vendor to a services partner and most people i don't think know that on right. the outside right right so and that and it was to create a culture coaching culture to take advantage of people's creativity and that sort of thing mm -hmm. i joined the team that started doing that and in during that time studied and became a coach began to have ibm oh. executives in their teams as my clients yeah. and in 2007 
there was a change of management, they declared success and decided that people like me ought to teach uh, beginning sales. So I left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're supposed to. Yeah, mm -hmm. and formed my own company and began to do tr behavioral transformation in other companies that wanted to shift where they were in their marketplaces. What, what, what fascinating dots that just connected. Oh, yeah. So how did it go, all right, how did it go from there to, I have Ooh. to hold up this book. To coach, to coach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us about this. You know, I have great job karma, truth. What do you mean? I I'd, I'd plan less than I, it, things come to me. And, I, and this came to me in the form of a, a colleague in the Bay Area heard about uh, a coach, uh, an athletic coach, who wanted to work with an executive coach. And the mm -hmm. athletic coach was in Houston. And so my colleague called and said, you're closer, you're a woman, she's a woman, why don't you coach an athletic coach? And I thought, wow, never thought about that. And so I, I started coaching a Division I head coach and really enjoyed it. Went down to the University of Houston, found out that most athletic coaches really want to do the right thing for their students. Mm -hmm. They have student athletes of whom fewer than 2% will become professional athletes. So what they, they hold two things. One is success of their program, and the other thing they hold is the success of their athletes. Mm -hmm. And the heritage of athletic coaching is command and control, and very often bullying. And so I, I had the opportunity to work with the coaches who didn't think that bullying was required. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. And so as I was working with different coaches in different universities, I found that there was a consistency they wanted to know about emotional intelligence, how to understand their students better, how to understand situations better. So I wrote Coach to Coach. <laughs> so Sarah, uh, without looking at all the titles, who is this book for? This is for uh, coaches. This is for uh, non-professional coaches, although if a professional coach wanted to read it, I wouldn't discourage uh -huh. them. Okay, and it is, is it available on Amazon? It is. Coach is. to Coach yeah. by Sarah Smith. And it's Emotional Intelligence and Leadership for Winning Coaches. There you go. Um, I've talked to coaches uh, who coach uh, youth soccer. It's really aimed at team coaching. Mm -hmm. Although I worked with a golf team. I didn't know golf's had, golf had teams, but found out they did. <laughs> uh, anytime there are people working together toward a unified end, sure. their leader... If their leader encourages more than berates, their success rate over time will improve. So many things you've done. It's been fascinating, Sarah, just fascinating. I always ask my guests to leave listeners with your lessons learned. Um, you know, all these years, what kinds of things have you learned that you would share? Wow. Let's, let's just come up with three or four. Yeah, I've, I've, learned, um, I've learned about fun. You know, it's, we have a corporate, Smith Leadership is two people, my husband and me. And we have a corporate value, if it's not fun, run. If it's not fun, run. <laughs> if, it, if it feels hard, it's probably not the right thing to do. Okay, that makes and, sense. And 
I love that because, especially in the last five years, when I've gotten requests from, from my clients to do things that are not in my wheelhouse, not in my path, mm-hmm. I go out and find colleagues who do that. You know, for branding, it would be you. Thank you. And, and I send those clients to my colleagues who I know are good at that rather than trying to become, you know, too much of a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. So I have more fun doing what I'm doing. And I have colleagues that I can look at and smile and think, I helped them be successful. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, people did that to me as I was coming mm-hmm. out of IBM, knowing that I didn't have a network. And the least I can do is, is you know, continue to pay it forward. All right, so that's another one, pay it forward, yeah. share. Yeah. The coaching community is sharing. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll um, borrow a page from Brene Brown. Okay. And that's be vulnerable. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't think that things will hurt. You know, I, I work with a lot of coaches that aspire to mastery in coaching, and it's a pretty high bar. Mm-hmm. And I will happily tell you that the first time I took the exam, I failed. I didn't just sort of fail. I failed in a big way. And you shared that. Oh, <laughs> you shared that. At the coach meeting, which I thought was very vulnerable. Yeah, I even shared the, the feedback, which was awful. And because what I learned, it's, it doesn't diminish me Good for you. to tell you that, that I went down in flames because of assumptions that I made, because I didn't value it enough. Mm. That because the journey was, I had to figure out why I failed. After I figured they were all, I went through the stages of grief where I thought they were all idiots. <laughs> and then, and then the I, assessors. That's right. Then I found out was not supposed to, but found out through a back door that the assessor that wrote the very uncomplimentary comments uh, graduated from the same school I did. So it was really hard for me to say, well, they don't know anything about coaching. Apparently she did, mm-hmm. <laughs> since mm-hmm. we had the same credentials from the same school. What I had to do at that point was to look at myself, mm. to listen to those recordings. To Emotional un- intelligence again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mirror. Not easy. No. And what I learned was that there's a difference between 10 years experience and one year's experience 10 times. Oh. I was the same coach I was having come out of school. I see. Mm-hmm. Where other coaches continued to hone their skills, continued to listen to their coaching, continued to work toward mastery. I thought if I just coached a lot, I'd poof, be mm. a master. Mm-hmm. It is not that way. <laughs> and if I can help someone else realize that without going through what I went through, then that's a gift I've offered. So, and you do give so much, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. So be vulnerable. I mean, you don't, as, as I tell some of my clients when they've been vulnerable to their organizations, did anyone die? Yes. And if the answer is no, mm-hmm. then so what was the gift of it? That's a big one that I think we can all learn because we all fail. <laughs> or, yeah. Like I said earlier, it's really hard to be perfect it's been just i've loved this i've learned so much about you i've learned more about the music and my goodness um so if anyone wants to know more about sarah and her uh, wonderful 
areas of expertise, you can visit her at slweb.net. slweb.net. Right. Sarah, thank you. And thank you for listening today. I am so glad that you tuned in and heard all of this wonderfulness. And stay tuned next time to learn more. Uh, We're going to have a guest next time. I know you will really enjoy as well. This is a young woman named Brittany Merrill Underwood, and she is a young mother who started just not long ago an incredible project called the Akola Project. Some of you may know Akola Jewelry because now it is all over this country. But it started when this young woman went to Uganda had never been before and saw the destitute and the impoverished women and found ways to help with their economic development. And one of the ways was to teach women in Uganda to make this beautiful jewelry. So she'll be the guest next time. I want you to stay tuned. And as always, I tell you, thank you for watching and listening. Please do share. Uh, make comments, subscribe, you know the rest of it. In the meantime, stay authentic, know your brand, and have a super good week. Bye. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.